Because today what we're doing is we're wrapping up our series through 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles with you or your app, open it up, 1 Peter chapter 5. I really believe that this has been a very timely series as Peter truly was dealing with suffering believers. And though our suffering uh, through this pandemic is a different kind of suffering, it is nonetheless suffering. Peter has given us some valuable words about our living hope, and today will be no different as we move into chapter 5. I'm reminded that in the first chapter, Peter spoke about how we have to suffer through various trials, and that's true. But another truth is that the answer to our trials, no matter what they are, is the same. It is remembering the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Today, as we look at our text, I want us to understand that in the midst of suffering, you must keep your eyes on God. All right. If you get nothing else today, I hope this is a phrase that, that goes throughout your mind all day today, that in the midst of suffering, you keep your eyes on God. You see, Peter in this letter is clearly pointing us to look at God, but in reality, the whole of Scripture encourages us to look to God. In Psalm 121, the psalmist declares this. He said, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, maybe those of you who are listening today think that this is an obvious statement, and to many of us, it is. But here's what we have to realize. Even though we know we need to look to God, we often do anything but. In fact, as we look at what Peter writes here in what we refer to as this fifth chapter of this letter, we will see where Peter addresses some ways we get our eyes off of the Lord. The first one being this, we have this tendency to, instead of looking at God, we have this tendency to look at ourselves, again, rather than God. Look at what Peter writes in verses six and seven. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Remember, Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering. And typically, when you look at people who are suffering, you think of people who are distraught, overwhelmed, maybe even in ways a little weak. And yet Peter says, humble yourselves. I mean, why would he say this? I mean, why would he write to those who are suffering and say, humble yourselves? Well, because many times in the face of suffering, where do we turn for the answers? Where do we turn? We often turn to ourselves. We think this. We can think, well, I can fix this. Well, I can come up with the solution. I, I can be strong enough, and, and I'll get through this. You, I have enough determination. It's going to be okay. You see, we often look to ourselves to deal with the problem, and what we often forget is the solution to our suffering does not lie in our own abilities, in our own strength, our own wisdom, but it lies in God. I, I even see this tendency to look to self so much in our current situation. There are so many people that I have seen espouse their answer to dealing with the pandemic, and they have it all figured out. And guess what? I've seen that confidence from people with very different views. I've seen those who speak with confidence that, that have said that we should have never shut anything down and just went on like normal, and then we would have been already had this herd immunity, and life would be pretty much back to normal by, by now. Then I've seen those on the other side who said if we'd shut more things down and required more strict adherence to guidelines when, when, when this virus happened, then it would not have spread and we'd be in a much better place now. Now, why do both sides feel the way they do? Because they have done their research or they have heard such and such share about what we should be doing and that person is an expert in this or that and so they know what the right direction is. All right, what we all forget sometimes is there are many things out of our control. And no matter how smart we think we are or how gifted we might be, there are things that we cannot control. 
And when we forget, all right, what we do is we forget to look up to God and say, Lord, what I really need now is you. Because what I know is, God, that, 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 that I am not in control, that you are. And, God, your ways are not my ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts. And so, Lord, I am solely dependent upon you. So, Lord, I ask you to guide me. You give me wisdom, Lord. You show me what is right. You know, even when I've looked at us as a church and how we are moving forward with re- regathering and operating as a church, people have varying opinions. Here's what I wish I could say with 100% confidence. I wish I could say that the way we are approaching regathering as a church is the right approach, but I cannot. I simply have to look to God, seek his guidance, and pray that what we are doing is the right thing as we trust him. Sometimes it's hard to know if you're doing the exactly right thing. It definitely calls for humility because it's hard to admit that you don't know if you are right or not, especially as a leader. You always like to be certain when you are making decisions and that you're making the right decision. However, as a leader, there are times that you move forward with a measure of uncertainty. You you do all you can to get the right information. You seek as much counsel as you can. You pray and ask God for direction, and then you act based upon what you believe to be the right course. But I found many times there is still a measure of uncertainty. In fact, I'm thankful that I have been meeting with a group of local ministers by Zoom to talk about our regathering plans and what they look like. We share ideas. We share plans. We share concerns. And what I'm thankful about is that each of those ministers is not one who would look and say, I have it all figured out. Every one of those guys are humble enough to say that they don't know if they have all the answers, even to say that as they're making decisions, they're not sure that what they're doing is right, but all are seeking to do what they believe is best for the church and that they are called to lead and for the community at large. Each one is willing to say, I want to learn from others and I want God's leadership. That is where we all have to be in life because folks, the moment a person believes that you have all figured out is the moment you are in trouble. In fact, I didn't read it earlier, but Peter reminded us of this in verse 5. Look at what he wrote in verse 5. He said, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Folks, if you put yourself in a place where you have it all figured out, you are putting yourself in a place to be opposed by God. The solution to our tendency to look to ourselves rather than God is remembering this, to look up to God, to seek his direction. And because of that, Peter was led to share the words we saw a moment ago where he wrote in verse 7, he said, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In fact, one of the ways that you can know if you are relying on yourself too much is checking your level of anxiety because anxiety can be a lack of trust in God. Actually, hear me, anxiety can be a source of pride because anxiety exists when we feel out of control and ultimately are trusting in ourselves for the solution. On the other hand, anxiety is a normal part of life, and what we do with that anxiety shows where one is placing trust. We have to be humble enough to realize that we are not in control and give our anxiety, cast it over to God saying, God, I am trusting this to you. I know I cannot fix it on my own. I cannot handle it on my own, but God, I trust you can. Look look at even why we are called to do this, because God cares for us. Peter says we cast our anxiety on him because he cares. You see, in the middle of your suffering, You need to keep your eyes on God because if you do, he will guide you, he will strengthen you, he will deliver you. He will get you on the right path because he cares for you. And here's something I take great comfort in, 
that God can truly get me to the right place even when I make mistakes. Remember a few moments ago, I said, even as we make decisions about our regathering, that I wasn't sure whether we're taking the exact right steps or not. Well, with that, you might ask, well, Brother Scott, how do you make it? How do you not go crazy? How do you sleep at night? It is because I believe that as I trust in God, that even if I get something wrong, that God can make it right. That God can work through my fallibility to still get me to be where I need to be, and particular in this particular example, to get our church where we need to be. And so the midst of suffering, here's what we all should do. We should refuse the tendency to look at ourselves and instead keep our eyes on God. We also need to realize that in suffering, though, we have this tendency to be distracted and let Satan work. Look at the next verse here in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He goes on to say, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter here gives two imperatives. Be sober-minded and watchful. Now, when I hear sober-minded, I hear think clearly. The opposite of sober is drunk, which is being out of control, out of your senses. So Peter's telling believers in the midst of suffering that they need to think correctly, that they need to think with a controlled mind. Peter also says you need to be watchful, which means this. You don't need to be asleep. You don't need to be distracted. Now, here's what is interesting, though. He mentions these two things in regards to something specific. He tells us that you need to be sober-minded and watchful because the devil is on the prowl. He is looking to devour you. Now, what I consider what Peter is saying here and think about how people view their suffering in regards to the work of Satan, I see two dangers. One is that some give Satan too much power, and then two, some ignore him altogether. There are some who, with an uncontrolled mind, look at Satan and give him way too much power. They see Satan at every turn and almost give him power that only belongs to God. Well, there is no doubt that power that Satan is at work in this world. I mean, Satan brought calamity into Job's life to test him, to seek him, and to try to get him to turn from God. Satan entered Judas's life to have him betray, betray Jesus. Satan worked in Peter's life one time to distract him and to keep him from seeing clearly who Jesus was and even in a moment denied Jesus when things got tough. However, we have to realize that even in those situations that Satan wasn't in control, but God was. Satan had to get permission to tempt Job. Jesus even told Peter that Satan had asked to sift him, but that Jesus had prayed for him that Peter would stand. See, was, Satan was never in control of any of those situations. He could only do what God allowed. Now, when a person looks to Satan and attributes to him power that, that asserts that he is in control, that person is not looking at Satan with a sober mind. We must be aware of Satan, but we must never give him too much power, which reminds me the other danger is ignoring that he exists, which is where I think the majority of people at least practically are. Even if they would say they believe in Satan, they live without an awareness that he is at work. But he is at work, and he is prowling like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you remember, a lion, though vicious, sneaks up on his prey and pounces. Y'all seen The Lion King, right? You know how it works, right? Likewise, Satan today is working subtly to destroy. And there's two ways that I see Satan working, and that is bringing doubt and division. First, he is trying to make people doubt that God cares or even that God exists. I mean, doubt has always been a, one of Satan's greatest tactics. 
In the Garden of Eden, he made Adam and Eve doubt what God had said and doubt what God would do. And it opened up their lives in the world to sin. He is still doing that today. I mean, a pandemic strikes and people say, listen, if there really was a God, then he wouldn't let something like COVID-19 even exist. Other suffering comes into lives and people say, well, if God loved me, then he wouldn't let, let this happen to me. Satan loves to put doubts in minds. And unfortunately, many people give into that doubt that Satan's lies cause and some even turn from the faith. I don't know if y'all saw it this week, but there was even a well-known Christian artist who publicly said that he was no longer a Christian. You see, today, Satan is still alive, and Satan is still well, and he's working to place doubt in hearts and minds. But Satan is also working hard in our day to bring division. You know, when I look back just a few weeks ago as the pandemic was taking hold, it seemed for a period of time that everyone was coming together, and we were saying, we will get through this as we work together. People seem to be on board. The country even seemed, finally, for a long time, we had a common enemy, and we were fighting that enemy together. But now what do we see? Just a few weeks later, I see division more now than I have ever seen in my lifetime. There is political division as we take sides about which party has the right approach. We see religious division as we see people divided on how churches should move forward. We have even seen the rise of racial divisions as things have played out first with Ahmad Aubrey case, then with the George Floyd case, and then the Breonna Taylor case even here in Louisville. Satan is working hard to bring division, and folks, he is succeeding. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 16, uh, dealing with the vision among those who claim to be believers. And at the end of that chapter, he indicated that the ultimate answer is this in Romans 16, 20. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul's words indicate to us there that the source of the vision is Satan himself. The ultimate answer is, listen, when Jesus crushes him completely under his feet. And what we see today is that Satan is at work to bring division in our lives individually, and he's working to bring division in our communities. Paul even saw divisive people as so dangerous to the church that he wrote this in Titus 3, 10, and 11. He says, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. What we all need to do is make sure that we are watchful and to make sure that we do not let Satan work in our lives so that we are a source of division. As believers, we are called to work for peace and unity, not division. And the reason that Peter had to write these words to suffering Christians is because, no doubt, when suffering comes into our lives, we are more distracted than normal. And so we let our guard down, and in that moment, Satan steps in to cause doubts and divisions. And so let's be alert and let, let, let not Satan work in our lives. Now, besides the call to be sober-minded and alert, Peter gave us a solution for this tendency to be distracted and let Satan work. And what is the solution? Here's the solution. It's to look up and to keep your eyes on God. Look at what he wrote in verse 9. He said, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See, the key to resist Satan is to be firm in your faith. It is making sure you fully understand what you believe as a Christian and why you believe it. It is to make sure that you understand how to explain your faith and how to deal with the difficult issues so that difficulties do not derail your faith. 
On May 19th, in fact, the world lost a great evangelist and apologist, Ravi Zacharias. He was a brilliant man who spent much of his life helping Christians think about their faith and fully understand what they believe. He stated his vision this way, helping thinkers believe and believers think. He had a great mission because he wanted Christians to understand. When you believe, you don't check your mind at the door. You need to know what you believe and understand what you believe. Because, folks, the more a believer studies God's word, all right, and knows fully what he or she believes, the less one will be tempted to give in to Satan's doubts. One will have a clear understanding of suffering and how God is at work in that suffering, allowing one to be able to know how to find strength in the midst of that suffering. Also, the stronger one is in the faith and standing firm in that faith, the less that person will give into Satan's tactics that cause division. The more firm one is in the faith, the more one will understand God's call to unity, God's call to encourage one another, God's call even to fight injustice and to stand with those who are mistreated. The more firm one is in your faith, the more you understand that, that Jesus Christ has broken down the barriers that divide and that in him unity is possible. The more firm one is in his or her faith, the less success Satan will be in creeping in and devouring. Once again, though, the key is looking up to God and even remembering this, that the spirit of the Antichrist can be overcome through Jesus. As John reminded us, he wrote in 1 John 4, 4, he said, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Can I hear amen here this morning? All right, y'all say amen at home too, all right? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. See, truly, Jesus inside of you is greater than Satan around you. And so what you need to do is look to God. The need to, be, to stand firm in the faith is a call to every believer to be committed to discipleship so that you grow in your faith. Folks, listen, never be satisfied to just say you believe in Jesus. Don't be satisfied just to say that. Grow in your faith to understand what it means to believe so that Satan will not have a foothold, so that you can stand firm in your faith. Let's not give in the temptation to be distracted and let Satan work, but instead let's keep our eyes on Jesus by standing firm in our faith. Now, one other tendency we have in the light of suffering, though, is this, is to forget God's grace in suffering. You see, when suffering comes, one of our greatest temptations we have is to let the suffering overwhelm us. It is to get our eyes off of God and onto the suffering. Look at Peter's words starting back in verse 10. He said, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, let's go ahead and recognize this that suffering is universal, and we will suffer in various ways. Let's never forget that we live in a broken world, a world that is broken because of sin, and that brokenness brings with it suffering of various kinds. But that doesn't mean we should let suffering overwhelm us. We don't have to if we keep our eyes on God. Notice after Peter acknowledges the reality of suffering, he spoke about the suffering as being temporary, that it's gonna be gone in a little while. It will not last. He pointed the readers to remember that there is a God of all grace and that God will work to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's important to remember because, again, we can let our suffering cause our eyes to get off God when our suffering should actually do the opposite. Our suffering should point us to God. 
Remember this, if it wasn't for God's grace, we would all be consumed because we have all made mistakes and we all deserve annihilation because of that sin. But because God is like, I got a great grace, he hasn't wiped us off the face of the earth yet. It is his grace that offers us salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It is his grace that offers us eternal life. But hear me, it is also his grace that sustains us every day. Even the apostle Paul, as he was dealing with his suffering, said his grace is sufficient. And also because God is a God of grace, he allows suffering in our lives as a means to a greater end. First of all, suffering helps us grow in our faith. We're told this in Romans 5. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces what? Hope. See, God knows that we have a tendency to be stagnant or get satisfied. Therefore, he will occasionally allow suffering to wake us up and to move us to a deeper, greater depth in our faith. Move us to a place where we find hope. Suffering also is used by God to prove our faith to be genuine or not. Peter wrote this earlier in, in the first chapter. Remember this? He said, in this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Folks, think about this. When your faith is tested and stands, you are able to rejoice. Does any of you want to get to the end of life and have a faith that was fake? No, right? Well, so here's what God does. He allows suffering to come to test it, to make sure that it's genuine so that, yes, you can have that strength now, but you can get to the end of life someday and stand, to stand before the Lord and rejoice because you have a faith that is genuine and real. You understand that you have built your life on something that stands and you're able to rejoice that, you're, that, 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 again, that again, your life has persevered and you now, again, praise and glory God. But then, look at this, suffering turns our eyes upon God. Paul, writing about the general suffering that we face, including the deterioration of our body, said this in 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What he's saying is this, that truly any suffering should point us to God and make us long for him more. The suffering forces us to look beyond things that are temporary to the things that we cannot see now except by faith. And when we look to God in this way, we actually experience, he says, an inward strengthening that's hard to explain, but we know it gives us peace and confidence to face our current struggles. As we do, what we discover is that God is the one, as Peter said, who restores, confirms, strengthens, and establishes you. One just has to remember that ultimately the fulfillment of God's promise to us does not happen fully in this life, but in the next. It really ties back to what we looked at last week when we discussed living with the end in mind. Folks, this world is temporary, along with its problems, but eternity is forever. Therefore, when suffering comes into our lives, God is seeking to fulfill an eternal purpose by pointing us to God, to him who is our living hope. Some people will get this and others will not. 
Those that understand will look up to God and find peace in the midst of their suffering. Those that don't will remain in misery. Here's my prayer for all of us today. Again, where you're sitting in this pew or whether you're worshiping home, here's my prayer that indeed you will look up to God. Maybe what we are going through is overwhelming to you. I want you to ask yourself today, am I looking to find the answers within myself and am I looking to God? If you are looking to yourself, let me encourage you today to humble yourself and turn your eyes to God. Is this suffering causing you doubts or causing divisions between you and others? Well, let me encourage you to be aware that Satan is at work and resist him. Don't listen to his lies that are causing you to doubt and don't let him lead you to be a divisive person. Instead, turn your eyes to the Lord, see that he is worthy of your faith and let your faith work so strongly in your life that you see division for what it is and then you work for unity with others. Then as you continue to deal with the difficulties you face, let those difficulties point you to the God of grace who loves you and sent Jesus to die for you. I have no doubt that any suffering we face, hear me, is really a gift from God so that we would realize today that our hope is not in this world, but in him. And so let's turn to him. Folks, listen, Jesus died for our sin to rescue us from this broken world. And if we look to him, I know today that there is hope, a hope that will last not for this moment or just this life, a hope that will last for eternity. And so in the midst of our suffering, let's keep our eyes on God. Let's look up to him and let's find the hope. Let's look up to him and find the peace. Let's look up to him and find the joy that we are longing for. Because folks, he is the only place where all of that is found. And so let our suffering, listen, point our eyes to God and let's keep our eyes on the Lord. Would you pray with me, our Father? As we come to you today, Lord, in the midst of our suffering, Lord, of various sorts, we come to you today and praise you because you are a great and a mighty God. You're a God that Peter says that to you, all dominion forever and ever belong. And I pray, Father, today that we would continue to look to you and find ourselves restored in you, confirmed in you, strengthened in you, and established in you. Because, Father, you are the one that can do it. We ask, Father, this morning that you forgive us when we get our eyes off of you and onto ourselves. And Father, if we're doing that today, Lord, would you reveal that to us that we might confess and repent and turn to you so that we would, again, get our eyes off ourselves and back onto you? Father, this morning, if, you, if we have got distracted, Father, will you reveal that to us? Show us, Father, how we've let that distraction allow Satan to work in our life to cause doubt or division. And if that's happened, Father, may we confess that today and we, we repent and may we return back to you. And Father, today, may we stand firm in our faith. May we, in fact, go deeper with you, Father, today and find our restoration in you. Help us, Father, to be renewed in you today. And Father, in this moment, as we're suffering, if we have looked and got our eyes on the suffering or off of you, Father, reveal that to us again, that we might confess and repent of that. And today, instead, look to your grace. Because, Father, indeed, we know that it is your grace today that is sufficient. We know that it is your grace today that is our hope for today and for eternity. And so, Father, may we look to you. Lord, my true prayer for all of those who are listening today, that we would look up to you and find the hope, the joy, the peace that you bring. May we truly turn our eyes to you today. As we get ready, Father, for this song of invitation, would you speak to us? There are things that we need to confess. 
And Father, there are ways that we need to turn our eyes upon you. And so I pray during this time, we will do that, Father. I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.